a listener production. Howdy, legends. You are listening to episode 149 of the Howie Games Part B with jockey Jamie Carr. Racing now. Take me to, let's say, the middle of the Victorian season. Um, racing during the week, racing on weekends. Give me an example of your typical day when there's a race. Like, how, how many race meetings a week would you typically ride in? Well, at the moment, um, I was only riding the Metro ones, which was Wednesday, Saturday, but that was just so I wouldn't sort of get burnt out and obviously yeah. that was a target I wanted to reach. But last year, I'd probably ride four days a week um, and that would be... Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, sometimes Sundays. So um, the end part of the week is quite busy for me. Um, and pretty much every morning I get up and, and ride track work, um, either jump outs or gallops, and then um, the race. So what time, you, what time does your day start? What time does the alarm go? Uh, depends. So if I'm going to Caulfield for gallops, I'll get up at 3 o'clock, maybe the 2.50. That's the earliest my alarm goes off. Tomorrow I've got to go to... 2.50? Yeah, it's tomorrow, horrible. It's horrible. It's not nice. It's um, I'm in bed at 7 o'clock most nights, but wow. tomorrow morning I've got to go to Yeroa, which is two and a half hours from here for um, for a few jump outs. So tomorrow will be a very early start for me. So you get up, you jump in the car, and then you um, – uh, what do you ride at? My weight, yeah. I um, ride at 54, but through spring carnival I'll probably be able to get to 52. Okay, and this is a, um, I would never ask this normally it's of a female. very common, but very common yeah, question. <laughs> yeah, in, in your, if you were living a normal life, what do you think you would weigh in at? Probably 57, 58. Um, okay. But I, I don't eat a lot. I um, try and exercise a lot and I just eat small meals. So I'll probably walk around 55 kilos. So I have to lose a kilo every Saturday to ride 54, which is just sweating, saunas, all that stuff. Okay, let's get in. Um, let, I, let, let, let's, if you don't mind, let, let's talk about that firstly. So exercise, when you say you exercise a lot, what, what exercise do you need to do to be top flight? Um, look, I don't really go to the gym much because I do so much walking and um, riding at home. So I have to walk to the paddocks and back, which are quite a far um, way away, which I think walking is really good for your weight. Um, and then obviously I'll be riding maybe 10 or so horses in the morning, which um that sort of, you know, that's my exercise of the day. And then I, I either go to the races um, and in between home and the races, I'll have a sweat, which um, will be either at the sauna um, or a spa. Um, but when COVID was on, obviously the saunas were closed. So um, I do a lot of car sweating, which doesn't sound very glamorous um, and it's not. <laughs> well, so what, you crank the heater up in the car? Yeah, heater on, uh, the seats are heated and then I'll put layers and layers of jackets on, go for a run, get your heart rate up, and then you jump in the car and go drive to the races or, um, you know, drive an hour around. And I could lose up to a kilo and a half doing that. How's your car smell? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it gets a good clean every now and then. <laughs> I try not to do it too much. Actually, funny funny story. I, I, we just we upgraded our car the other day and the last one, the seat, because my partner Clayton has to sweat a lot when he was riding, doesn't ride anymore, but um, the seat was actually burnt out because it got wet and the, <laughs> it actually electrocuted him. Oh, the electrics? <laughs> yeah. 
So I, I, I'm loving this conversation, Jamie, because people see you on a Saturday and think, oh, yeah, she's good at riding a horse, but we're, we're starting to understand now what's involved. It's, uh, it's not so glamorous as it looks. Yeah, yeah, which is what I really want to talk to you about. So you're having to control your weight. Now what about, so you're up, are you eating before you go and do the track work, before you go to the the race day or not? I um I, I don't eat probably till lunchtime. I'm not really an early morning eater, but I have lots of coffee. Coffee gets me through. Right. Which is not very healthy, but and, okay. and what's lunch at lunchtime? Uh, lunch is normally if I'm not racing, I'll get a, a little egg and bacon sandwich, a, a cheap. But um, I don't really eat much after that. So normally lunch is my my main meal, and if I eat at dinner, it'll just be a real small um, half a steak or something or something real lean. Um, and like I. I don't starve myself or I don't um, eat, like I don't eat good food, but I just don't yep. eat lots of it. I eat really small, um, small proportions. So how much of a typical day would you be what I would describe as hungry? Where, you know, I'm hungry, I'll go to the fridge and <laughs> grab something. How, how much yep. of a typical day? Because that's obviously we'll get to the mental side of your sport, but obviously you've, you've got to overcome that from a mental aspect. It's probably quite unhealthy, but I, I've sort of taught myself now, you know, you shrunk your stomach a bit, you don't eat much, so I don't really get that hungry. It's, it's normally thirsty. If you're sweating, you get really, really thirsty, really dehydrated. Um, but I, I I try to always eat even if I have to sweat. I try to eat some small meals so, um, yeah. you know, you're not getting that hungry feeling. But to be honest, I've, I've sort of trained myself now. I, I, I just I can't eat a big meal if I go out to the pub or for a... For a meal, I have to eat something small because I won't finish it. So you can't handle a big chicken parma. Nah, no, nah, I'll have a I'll have a crack at it, but I will never get <laughs> I'll never get through it. <laughs> so what about the hydration side side of things? Because it's an interesting one, isn't it, in your sport? Because every other sport, it nowadays it is hydrate, 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 get as much into your system because that's what you need to perform at your best. How do you deal with it, and, and what's it like? What's it feel like when you're like super thirsty but you can't drink? It's uh, it's nothing like it. It's horrible. It really is. But it's another thing that you get used to. Um, describe not, the like, feeling to me. Just like describe it to me. You just you, you get this ringing in your head, a ringing in your ears, and it's just it, it's like you're numb pretty much when you're out there. Um, I'm fortunate. I don't have to sweat too much. But through spring carnival, if I have to lose sort of three three kilos or so. Um, You'll get to the races and you'll just—it'll be a constant ringing in your ears, and um, you're just so dry. You get behind the gates and you can have a, a cup of water, but you've got to spit it out. You can't drink it. Um, oh, how so hard is that? So you put it in your mouth and then spit it yeah. out. It's that's yeah, almost it's, like torture. <laughs> and look, that happens to most of the boys, sort of all year round. They have to sweat all year round, which is—it's oh, ridiculous. Like. I'll, I'll know for a certain month through spring carnival I'll really have to waste and, and lose weight, which it's hard, but it's not all year round for me. But these other blokes, it's just it's horrific, like what they have to go through, um, which is why probably females are starting to ride a lot more now because we are yeah. naturally lighter. And then we've so we've got you've you've had your lunch now you're at the, you're at the race meeting itself. Uh, typically, uh, give me an average. Book of rides, like what? How many rides would you typically do? Um, so there'll be most meetings, eight or nine races on the on the card, and I'll probably ride in eight of them. Um, I, I try not to have a full book, but um, obviously now um, there's lots of people wanting me to ride their horses because I'm the the flavour of the month, you can yeah. call it. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I'll have probably up to eight rides, and I mainly just ride fifty four, which is my lightest on Saturday. So Wednesday race meeting, I can normally 
have a drink during the day and, and be a bit more normal, which is nice. And how tiring, how physically tiring is it when, uh, as you mentioned, you, you, you're not eating a great deal and you can potentially be dehydrated when it gets to the end of the day? How physically tiring is it like steering one of those 650 kilo animals? Um, it's it's probably more mentally draining and tiring is than it? anything because I'm, I'm probably at a level now where I'm really fit and it doesn't really take toll on my fitness um, anymore. But it's more sort of sitting there all day and, and being awake from four o'clock and it's now six o'clock at the races, um, or 5.30 maybe in summer when it's the last race and you're just exhausted and then you've got to drive home. Um, the driving is the killer, I think. A lot of jockeys now have valets or people that drive them because the, the, the driving side of it is just exhausting. So that's the end of the day, right? You get home and you said you go to bed at 7 o'clock and you're absolutely buggered. Yep. When the alarm goes off again at 3 o'clock the next morning, Jamie Carr, what gets you out of bed? What stops you hitting snooze and saying this is all a bit too hard? Well, that's how. That's when the love of the horses and, and the passion comes in because there's no other reason why we would get out of bed at this crazy hour and it's pissing down rain outside or it's the middle of winter and there's nothing else that gets you out of bed bar just that dream, um, looking forward to the bigger races. I think nowadays the bigger races really get me excited because um, back when I was starting, obviously just riding a winner was awesome and amazing and that's what got you out of bed. But now it's sort of it's gone past that. It's, you know, the dream of winning one of these features or one of these majors. 2019, first Group 1 win, Australian Cup on Harlem. Set to gallop. The field of 15 is ready. And they're racing in the Australian Cup. Yogi missed the start by about three lengths. Sikandra bad back to second last. Trap for Fools began very well. Straight to the lead from the Taj Mahal and out deeper on the track, pushing up, rekindling from Harlem. What's it like when you step up? You've won your first race. You've won a few races in the provincials. You've won a few races in the city and then you win a Group 1 race. Of which You've won six Group 1s so far? Yeah, six now. What, um, what's your memory of the first one? Oh, I just wanted to cry. I was Did speechless. You? Yeah, I was speechless. It is Trap for Fools, Avilius Harlem, Shillelagh from Ace High. Avilius has a fight. It's just on the outside. Shillelagh and Harlem. Shillelagh, Harlem. Stride for stride. Harlem's going to win it again. Harlem's beaten Shillelagh in a photo. Harlem has done it again. Jamie Carr at 40, 50 and 690 in what turned out to be a thrilling finish. But Harlem wins the Australian Cup last year at a massive price. Jamie Carr has taken the Group 1 feature. It was very cool. Like I, It was also a big relief because I did move from Adelaide and I made the big move and everyone was saying, oh, she's done it before, it's, you know, it's, it's not going to work out for her. And um, I think it was a mixture of emotions. It was um, an unbelievable feeling because that's what we all dream about and why we get out of bed. But to go, okay, now I've made it. Like, I don't have to prove myself anymore. Um, that was just a, a really good feeling. And it's funny, you think, oh, you've done it, you know, you're sweet now, you can retire happily. But I think it's um, now you just want more and more. Like, I just strive to ride more and more of them now. How did you deal with the, uh, you know, you could have stayed in Adelaide forever and be a, a big fish in a smaller pond. You've come here to Victoria. How do you deal with it when people say, she can't do this, she can't do that, she won't do this, she won't do that. Yeah, that was, um, like I said, that was probably why it was such a big relief because, yeah, I could have stayed in Adelaide and I was I could have won probably a few more premierships and 
sort of just um, just got through life, but I, I just wanted to push myself a bit harder and I've never been one just to be happy with just getting through. Um, I've always wanted, you know, to, to achieve more and um, that's sort of what drove me to come here and give it a go and uh, I'm glad I did. <laughs> Take me to uh, Nature Strip and the Lightning Stakes win a group one race, but take me through that race and describe to me what you do from the moment you get on the horse on the mounting yard, in the mounting yard, Jamie, whether you've seen the horse before or not, take me through in as much detail as you can to when you pass the post because I want to understand what's required to be a jockey. So you're given, okay, so you're given, let's even go back, you're given nature strip to ride in the lightning stakes. I'll be honest with you, I don't know a great deal about horse racing. So if I stuff things up along the way, just tell me now (laughs) how you've got that wrong. So how do you find out that you're riding that horse? And I hear, you know, about studying the form, et cetera, which I don't believe you're enormous on. Tell me about the process firstly before you get on the horse. Well, most of the time I've never ridden the horse before in a race. Um, or track work or even seeing the horse. Um, so I'll just get on in the mounting yard and that'll be the first time I meet him. But this particular horse, I got the call up a few weeks earlier, obviously, because it's such a big race. And I rode him in a jump out. Um, and I've never felt a horse feel like it's going that fast before. It was unbelievable feeling. He was really? it's It's like I describe it, it's like driving a Ferrari when the rest of the field is a, a Kia or a, you know, a Hyundai <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Um, so I obviously had a lot of um, confidence in the horse, but um, so so in that situation, we've never met before, okay? And I, I have to make this a half decent podcast, which you are making it a wonderful podcast. <laughs> I've got a couple of minutes at the start to try and establish a rapport with you, okay, Jamie? Um, and there's various ways of doing that. It's much easier in person than it is over Zoom. Do you have to establish a relationship in a short period of time with a horse? You get about two minutes or so when you're cantering to the gates just to work out everything that you need to know about that horse. And I, okay, I so what, like... what are you trying to work out and what do you do? Like what's your what's your way of introducing yourself to the horse? Well, I I think I'm, that's probably one of the things I'm quite good at. I'm good at reading the horse really quickly, um, meaning you'll canter off and you'll feel if it's a bit strong or if it's um, if it's lazy or if it wants to bend a certain way or if it's a bit stiff on one side, you, you get to learn everything you can in those few minutes and I feel like that's all the time you need. Do you um, talk to it or do you, like, is it, is it the way you use your hands or your feet? How, how do you make an impression on the horse once you're trying to understand so he knows about you or she knows about you? Yeah, I try and work out, um, you know, what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to work out if the horse is stiff in one side or if how it wants me to hold the bit in its mouth or um, if it's a little bit revvy, if it needs to be calmed down or, you know, just little things like that. And all horses are really different. So it's um, it's something you need to learn really quickly. So then back to Nature Strip. Uh, most athletes, they get out there and get it done. And you don't see like, – you don't see uh, – Justin Langer talking to Steve Smith before he goes out to bat and say, now, if I was you, uh, I'd play straight early, I'd look to whip it off the toes, and if he's short outside off stump, I'd hit him through back or point. But I've seen enough of your caper to see that there's a bit of information and there's the the owners there and then there's the the trainer there and everyone's trying to give the jockey 
right, this is what I need to do. This is what you need to do to, to, to succeed on our horse, on my horse. What's that process like? So with lightning stake, yeah, yeah, with nature strip and the lightning stakes, what information are you being given and do you pay attention to that or is it in one ear, out the other? Uh, well, we pretend, you know that, what I mean? we pretend that we listen to it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what are they saying to you? Well, um, they normally just try and ask about the race, you know, what, what's the speed in the race, meaning what goes forward, what goes back. But in these bigger races, we know the horse because they're so popular. They've been around in all the bigger races. I've ridden against them before and pretty much all that Chris Waller said to me was have fun. Um, that was that was pretty much the only instructions, just... Um, you know him and, and, and let him do his thing. Um, a horse like that's very straightforward. He, he likes to jump and run and he likes to be up on the pace, but I really wanted to make sure I got a horse in front of him just so that he would settle. So um, just before that, sorry, I've, I've got so many questions. I'm sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> so so you trot along down the track, <laughs> for want of a better term. You go behind the gates, right, and the, 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 the barrier marshals are trying to get you in. There's horses kicking off. It's it's got It's quite a... Uh, it's quite a violent scene down there. Um, <laughs> it can be, yeah. Yeah. So, so what are you doing at this stage when you when you're being led up into the barrier? Well, I, I like kicking my legs out the stirrup, so my my legs hang down, so I can just relax on him. I, I give him a pat. He's a very highly strung horse, so um, you try and be as quiet as you can. And and the barrier boys know him, so when they lead him into the gates, they're patting him. They're trying to calm him down because he's he's um he can be a quite hot horse, so. That's sort of the number one thing that we do. We try and relax him, try and make him as happy as possible. Um, and then when the gates open, then you've got to do the same out there. You've got to be so really when the relaxed. So ga- when the him. gates open, does the horse go by itself or do you have to spur the horse? Uh, a horse like him just flies the gates. Um, off he goes. Off he goes. Some of them are quite lazy, so you give them a little bit of a um, click up or, you know, but most of them just jump what, by what, themselves. What, what with, with your, with your, with your with feet? With your voice. With your voice. You know, your you voice. Give them a, yeah. Ready for the lightning. Locked away. Signal and away they go. What do you say? Right, let's get rolling. <laughs> Whatever you want to say. Right, right, right. right <laughs> okay, so the, the race takes off. At this point, do you have an do you have a plan and how adaptable do you have to be as the different parts move around you? You get maybe half a second. You've got to be really, really quick at... Um, thinking and changing your mind and um, I had a plan in my head what was going to happen and um, when the horse outside of us, I knew that horse had a lot of pace and speed so um, when it jumped really quick and went forward, it went perfect. I'm going to just sit behind him and, um, you know, you've got to be really quick to adapt your plan. You've got to have A, B, C, D, lots of different plans Um, but in that race in particular, everything was smooth and, and ran perfectly for what I wanted. After 150 metres, Pippi is going to blaze the trail hard and led by two lengths, Nature's Trip and Bivouac, and they were followed by Fabagino, who's very deep on the track but showing a lot of speed and is isolated from the others. And at what stage in a race, let's use this race for an example, do you decide to, in in my parlance, put down the hammer? Like, you know, they always say, you know, hold the horse at Mooney Valley till the the farm or, you know, the Flemington, you wait till the clock tower. Clock tower, yeah. You do know a bit more about racing. Well, than I <laughs> yeah. Although in saying that, Jamie, I'll divert you for a sec. One of the first racing stories I ever did was with Greg Childs when he was looking to win a second Cox Plate on the Sunline, right? And it was live on Cox Plate on Channel 7 and I interviewed Greg and I said to him live on air, 
this horse, why is he so good? And he said, he's a she. And that, that <laughs> really flattened me. So don't get too carried away with, with my knowledge. But the jockeys say you have to know. So so what are you looking for before you take the handbrake right off? Well, the number one thing is just to keep them travelling, especially down the straight. When I say travelling, keep them on the bit, keep them um, keep their momentum going for as long as possible because it's a very long straight. So you want to be the last one to go for your horse, meaning the last one to get up it and, and, and to let it extend. So I just wanted to hang on to him as long as possible. Horse proper, 500 metres to go. It's Pippi in front by a length. Nature strip, three lengths. What's that bivouac? And Fabagino's out under the arches from September run. Helvorsen and Elite Street. It's Pippi joined by Nature strip over on the far side. Then He's a horse that likes to get on the bit, get pulling. So I just wanted to hold him together. Wait, wait, wait until the horse in front of me I could see was um, stopping. It, it had nothing left in the tank so that's when I that's when I push the button on him. Nature Strip over towards the inside rail lead swats that September runs flying but Nature Strip is going to do it Nature Strip wins from September runs swats that Fabergino and, and when you get before. past the post first uh, I think I, I had a lot of emotions that day because it was um, we went back into lockdown and Mm. My mum and dad have never seen me ride a Group 1 winner um, and been there, so that was going to be the day. And um, unfortunately, they couldn't come because of COVID, so I was, I, was, um, I was a bit emotional. I really wanted them to be there. I wish mum and dad could be here today. It would have been awesome. <laughs> I think they were keen to come, weren't they? Everyone was keen to come they and be a, here. They had a table just by the winning post and they would have been there cheering me on, but oh, what a horse. Unbelievable. Um, just to be given the chance to ride a horse like Nature Strip, that was life-changing for me and for my career because I've been lucky to ride some Group 1 winners, but they were all on long shots. They were not expected to win and to be given the chance on a favourite, which was expected to win, I think that was just an amazing feeling just to be trusted with, with him. Back to Jamie shortly. We mentioned in Jamie's player profile, if you haven't listened, go back and check it out. We mentioned an episode with dual Melbourne Cup winning jockey, the pumper, Jimmy Cassidy. It's way back in the archive, back in episode 10. The pumper's episode is worth a listen just for this Melbourne Cup story alone. I did. That That, that was a good story. Did I had you to, truly do that? I dude? truly did, yeah. I, 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 Underbelly style. Underbelly style. Rolled in cash. At 20, pumper was rolling in money. <laughs> I got I got the grey nurses, the hundred dollar bills, oh, the cha- changed into twenties. <laughs> so and my mate out. said, "What are you doing that for?" I said, "I'll show you." So we got back to the hotel room, pump took all his gear off, got the Melbourne Cup whip, tipped all the money on the bed, <laughs> and for one hour I was literally just rolling in cash. <laughs> That's the pumper, Jimmy Cassidy, rolling around in cash on episode ten of the show. Let's get back to Jamie. Uh, we talked about this a bit. At the start, about dealing with pressure, Jamie. See, see, we're like we're forty-five minutes in, and we're having no problem talking about stuff. I'm not pestering with you too many questions, am I? Nah, all good. See, you've got heaps to talk about. So, uh, Kathy Freeman on this show talked about uh, pressure is a privilege, as in you are only under pressure if people are expecting you to do well, and if people are expecting you to do well, you've got runs on the board and you've done the training. What's it like when the pressure goes up and up and up as you continue to succeed? Um. Well, that, that that is true. Like you, you've you'd rather have the pressure than not, yeah. because that means you know you're you're getting on the good horses, you're riding well. And I've never been one to really feel pressure. Um, like I said the other day, it was it sort of got to me. But besides from that, I've never um, I've never let it get to me. And I, I 
I sort of thrive off it. I do enjoy it. Um, I get out there and people go, oh, you know, don't mess it up. You're not nervous, are you? I'm like, nah, nah, I don't don't let it get to me Um, because in the end that's what ruins jockeys and that's what ruins races that, you know, you try and overthink things and um, I'm quite good. I can turn my brain off and not think at all. So um, (laughs) that's probably my, my asset out there. And what happens when it gets to the big races? Like you've ridden in a Cox Plate. You've come. Did you come? There's a Prince of Aaron. Was you third rode in the to, to third Cup. in the yeah. in the uh, in last year's Cup? What's the Melbourne Cup like? The field is set for the Lexus Melbourne Cup. Ready to run. Stand by for a start. Takes crash, and they're racing in the Melbourne Cup. A pretty good line. Of- oh, that was that was probably. One of the probably biggest high and low of my career. Like I, that was one thing I wanted to do. I was um, so excited, and we drew a beautiful gate. We got a beautiful run, and then I was following the favourite, and everything was just opening up and was going to be perfect. And then the favourite unfortunately broke down and had to be pulled out of the race. And so my horse got interfered with. I come out and um, just missed and he, he probably should have won the Melbourne Cup, which was just, uh, it was a horrible feeling because I felt sick to my stomach that I could have won the Melbourne Cup and that was probably my, my chance. So that was, um, that, that took a lot to get over as well. So let's talk about that with every success, this failure along the way. So you go back to the mounting yard, you've come third in the Melbourne Cup. Yeah. I don't know if you had any more rides after that. How do you like? That's oh, I, I can yeah. I can't imagine. <laughs> I could have won that. How long does it take? I could have won the Melbourne Cup to get that out of your head. Oh, probably a good year. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. No, well, it, that makes sense to me, Jamie. It makes sense that you would say that. Yeah. It. And the thing is, the trainer was um, was so happy, so happy for the horse and for me and and everybody that mattered could see that there was nothing I could have done. It was just an unlucky and unfortunate race, but. You think to yourself, you're like, what if I did this? What if I did this? You know, you, you think about it for a good month and, and rack your brain about it and, you know, that took a lot to get over and oh, I am over it now. It's You can't do anything about it. Um, but and is that just races, a matter of time? Is that just a, a matter of time to get over it or have you learnt to, you know, try and shove things into the background quicker rather than, than longer? Yeah, I, I've learnt that over the years and I do do that with a lot of races Um I just you have to get over it, and I do get over it. But when it's a Melbourne Cup, it's just it takes a bit longer because you don't get many options or um, yeah. you know many chances to to win it. Without well, now that we're talking about it, when you when you fail on a horse, right? I I work on cricket a lot, and I've seen what the cricketers get on social media that people when the people have bet on them, right? Which is you know when they're bet on player X to make 50 and he doesn't and he'll get a 1,000 messages on social media, you let me down, you let me down, you let me down. Yours is a betting industry. What happens when you're on a horse or you're in a position? Actually, I'll frame it. I'll be completely honest with you, Jamie. What happens when you're on a horse in a position that the horse should have won and your action causes it not to win? What happens when you go back to the mounting yard and then you have to speak to the trainers and the owners and then the punters over the fence? Um, I've enjoyed COVID because of that, <laughs> because yeah, there's I been bet. no punters. Because um, they are what? close. They are close to you when you uh, when you go back in. They're very close, and you can hear everything they say. And what do they um, say? 
oh, they just, you know, some of them bag you, some of them yell at you and um, it's, it doesn't get to me anymore. Um, it's the trainers that matter and the owners that matter and most of the time the people I ride for, um, they're very understanding. They've either ridden in a race before um, or they've ridden horses or, you know, they just understand and um, when you're unlucky, you're unlucky. There's nothing you can do about it but I still take it to heart because I've let someone down Um and then, you know, the last thing you need is someone that you've never met before that has never touched a horse or doesn't understand telling, you know, giving you death threats and, and things that, you know, some of the things I've been sent, and that's why I don't have Facebook anymore, um, it's disgusting. Can you, can you give I, – I remember being at a race meeting once and I won't mention the jockey and it was a big race day and I was walking out to the car park beside a jockey having a chat with this particular bloke and just a, a – a, a drunk punter came up and just said things because he'd lost money on that horse that I, I was shocked and I said, yeah. geez, that's one out of the box. And this jockey said to me, mate, this is, that's my job. This happens to me every single week. I go to work. Like wh- what's happened to you? What have you re- received? I don't want to – yeah, yeah, yeah. What's happened along the way? <laughs> I've had some very funny ones um, but I've also had some – you know, hope you die of cancer, you know, you fucking horrible human being, you know. You, and there was one particular bloke and in the in the top, um, in his profile photo, there's him with these two little girls. So obviously his daughters or, you know, someone close to him. And I never replied to them, but to this particular bloke, I went, oh, like, stuff you, this is just horrible. I said, can you imagine someone saying that to one of your girls one day? Um, you know, if they try their hardest at something, and they fail and they get some bloke telling them to go die of cancer. Like, could you – and he just blocked me. He didn't reply to it, which is sort of the person that he is. But yeah. that's just the normal – that's the normal thing that we get. It's a tough caper, isn't it? It's not all getting out there riding Group 1 winners and seeing, sipping champagne out of the cup, is it? No, that's the glamorous side of it. And there is some massive highs, but there's definitely some, some lows in the game. Frequent listeners to this show, Jamie, know I've got a couple of kids, uh, a daughter and a son. And you get a question now from my daughter. She's 11. <laughs> yep. Her name is Sky. Beautiful name. Thank you. Uh, her nickname is The Pickle. Okay. <laughs> so you now get the question from The Pickle. Are you ready, Jamie okay. Carr? Oh, okay. okay. Hi, Jamie. Pickle here. Congratulations on your 100 wins. Wow, that's incredible. Anyway, my best friend is really into horses. And she has got a few horses at her house. So sometimes I go over there and ride them with her. But I'm always too scared to go any faster than a trot. So how do you go at a gallop and a canter so fast and not think about the consequences of if you fall off? That's a good question. Mm. Often asked better questions than I do, Jamie, my children, but anyway. She might have a career in this. (laughs) She can have mine. She can have mine. She'll take over. Um, Well, my response to her is it is dangerous and it's scary, but... You, I have more trust in horses than I have in people, I think, sometimes. Um, huh. And I'm very fortunate that I've got good balance. I've learnt that from um, riding horses my whole life. But I think you've got to have to trust the horse. So if you can find a horse you can trust, then that's where it all starts. And I've had some amazing horses that have taught me a lot along the way. And, and now I get on a, a race horse and that's the last thing I think of in my mind. I, of the sports I've covered, Jamie, I think... 
I think horse racing and MotoGP, the the motorbikes, it, that's as scary as I've seen and the worst incidents <laughs> yeah. I've seen when I've been at a racetrack or a horse racing track. And you ask you ask guys and girls in motorsport and they just say, oh, you don't think about it. There can be horrific consequences in your sport when things go wrong. Do you just not think about it? But you would I have think... people in your life that things have happened to, I've got no doubt. Yeah, I've, I've had um, good friends die from race falls and... and been injured and can never ride again um but i think the second you start thinking about that's the second you've got to give up and and retire because it's dangerous enough let alone if you're out there and you're thinking about that and you're doing some silly things because you're scared i think that's going to put your fellow jockeys in danger so um, i've had falls i've had race falls but that's the last thing in my mind and i feel like i have enough balance on a horse and um, enough control to minimize the risk sure. Again, you'll have to help me out with my lack of expertise here. So Melbourne Metropolitan winners in a season, Brett Preble held the record with 99 and a half. A half, does that mean he had a dead heat? Yeah, dead heat, yeah. So, so he, he had a dead heat going for his 100th. Yeah, oh, he would have had it throughout um, that year. Oh, so, so yeah, of course, it's not necessarily yeah, the, the, not the necessarily, I, I yeah. Right. But um, I think I got told he had 12 seconds in the last month of trying to get that 100, oh. so that would have been devastating. Um, but he still thinks he crossed the line 100 times in front, which is technically right. So I um, I always wanted to get more than 100, so I, got, I think I got him up to 100 and, oh, what am I, up to 103 or something now? So I've, I've definitely gone past him. <laughs> so the, the 100th, you mentioned there was a couple of opportunities where uh, people saw you as favourite and it had got to you. Take me to the day, 1,100 metres over Caulfield. You're on a horse called Deep Speed, Jamie Carr, and congratulations too on setting the record <laughs> and getting on the front page of the paper and just lighting up the world for a lot of people when it's been a really tough time here in Victoria and around Australia. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, that was, um, it was an amazing feeling. Uh, I, I remember the moment vividly because I... Um, I was in front a long way out from home and I could hear the crowd. There was only maybe uh, 50 people in the mounting yard because of the restrictions, but I could hear them from the post um, and on the line, I've never heard a crowd so loud at Caulfield in the winter and even on some bigger days, I've never heard the crowd scream like that and that just gave me goosebumps. Like I was just, oh, there was a relief um, obviously, but... The feeling to hear them was amazing. Deep speed, is it going to hold on? It will for Jamie Carr, a century, a century of winners from the car of the year. The 26-year-old South Aussie returned to scale to a standing ovation from adoring fans. And Carr says she could hear them when the whips were cracking. I actually got goosebumps over the line. It was, it was pretty special. The winner aboard Deep Speed, trained by fellow South Aussies Tony and Calvin McAvoy, broke the Victorian Metro record of 99 and a half winning rides set by Brett Preble more than 20 years ago. And it franks Jamie Carr's form as one of the greats of the Australian turf. But she's a humble champion. I'm not the one for, you know, crowds and people cheering my name. It's, it's very foreign to me still. Carr has now ridden more than a 1,000 women. And do you, in this regimented world in which you live, where you're going to bed at 7 o'clock, which your player profile, your chance of meeting Justin Bieber when you're going to bed at 7 o'clock, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure that's happening for you. Yeah. And, and looking after yourself physically to the nth degree, do you get to have 
a celebration? Do you get to have a meal or a beer or a champagne or just a, a cup of tea and time with friends or not? Um, well, I definitely do like a glass of wine and that's probably well documented as well. <laughs> so well, I did have a few after that night. Um, and I do like to still do things, you know, on a Saturday night if we're not riding on Sunday and go out to dinner and just sort of relax a bit and go eat some nice food and not have to worry about your weight. So no, we definitely enjoy ourselves and um, I... I had a few too many reds after that day, but uh, I thought I deserved it. <laughs> I'm glad you and I reckon you did. You can win one race in Australia. You've mentioned the Melbourne Cup. Is it the Melbourne Cup? You've ridden the Cox Plate. Obviously, Michelle was the first female jockey to win the Melbourne Cup. The female jockey hasn't won the Cox Plate before. Cox Plate's my race, I hope. Um, I, I love the valley. I love um, the atmosphere there. And um, if I could win one, it would be the Cox Plate. Before I talk about going internationally, you are... Uh, when I last looked, the 32nd ranked jockey in the world, according to what I saw, and the number one ranked female jockey, and you were the only female jockey in the top 100 when I last looked. Should we make a distinction or should we just say Jamie Carr is the 32nd ranked jockey in the world or should we say she is the number one ranked female? Well, the reason why this record was so important to me was because... um, no other jockey has ever done it and yes. I've broken a lot of female records but right. this was really special to me. Um, so I hope now that I can just be called, yeah, 30, 33 or whatever it was, um, best jockey in the world. I'd, I want to get rid of that female title because that's really not who I am. I've, I've never liked talking about female jockeys and all that stuff. Obviously they're huh. doing some great things but yes, that's, um, that's the least favourite favourite thing of mine to talk about. Um, so I, I hope we can get rid of that title one day. Great answer. I'm glad I asked that question. Can you become the number one ranked jockey in the world? Is it is it luck? Is it hard work? Is it connections? Is it getting the horses? Is it a combination of all of the above? Everything you just said. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. But like I said, you have to be lucky. You have to be on the right horses. You have to ride for the right trainers and owners. And um, I've been very lucky throughout my career. So I hope it continues, but um, yeah, I'll be I'll be trying to step up that uh, ranking ladder for sure. I hope you get there. You mentioned the Cox Plate internationally. I don't know why I've always had. I always enjoy watching the Japan Cup. I think it was at yeah. This is before your time. Maybe better loosen up. Won the Japan Cup. I think you're right, yeah. Well, those are the 15 runners and riders for the Japan Cup and in front of 164,000 people. Great run, also making great strides. It's better loose enough, but it's better loose enough now. Who comes through the press? Kakurthys to Kurthys in the lead with a furlong to go. Kakurthys goes for home, but better loose enough is closing in the blue colours. Oh, finishing well as they race up towards the line. It's going to be desperately close, but better loose enough just gets it. Better loose enough from Kakurthys and Ode. And then behind these Belmes... Anyway, because anyway. I can just delete oh, that if I my, got it wrong. This is my worst subject. I, I'm not good at racing yeah. history. No, it's not. It's not <laughs> mine either. But I, I, for whatever reason, when the Japan Cups, and I always like to watch it. Is there a race? So internationally, one race on the planet that you can win. What is it? Oh, on the planet. Uh, look, I, I've been talking to people about Hong Kong, and I think winning a big race on their stage up there would be amazing. Would be a good feeling, but. I'd still, I'd still want to win the Cox Plate. That's probably my race here. Final question for you, and I always finish this way, Jamie. 
We are really fortunate a lot of kids listen to this show. And for those youngsters that want to achieve success in their life, whether it's to ride horses or play a piano or build houses or dive off a diving board or be a mathematician, from what you've learned along the way on your journey, what advice would you give them? Just absolutely go for it. Um, Life is too short. I've had friends lose their life um, but doing things that they love. So, uh, look, my advice would be just to go for it, just to do it. Um, Life is too short. Be happy and you can do whatever you set your mind to and you just need some good people around you. So um, hopefully we see some more little jockeys and, and, and girls and um, girls and boys aspire to be jockeys because it's a great life. It has got, got its highs and lows, but if you set your mind to it, you can do it. Hey, it's a great answer and it's been a great chat and we feel the hour plus <laughs> no problem. See, you've got I lots think, to uh, talk I about. I have got you to thank for that. You're, you're a great talker. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, I appreciate you joining me on the show. Uh, good luck with everything moving forward. You're a star. I hope you win the Cox Plate and go on and win many other races from there. Stay safe. It's been an absolute treat having you on the Howie Games. Thank you so much. Thank you, Howie. It's great to meet you as well. Remarkable, remarkable athlete is Jamie Carr. May she ride many, many more winners, including a few Cox Plates. Thanks to Jamie and a wonderful manager, James Henderson, for trusting the show to talk about the COVID events. Not an easy situation to look back on. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Hendo. Until next week (laughs) with Bozza. We are going to let Bozza loose on the Howie Games. Mark Bosnich himself. Until then, you know the rest. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listener.